0: Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosin Derskin, and it's that time of the year again when whisky lovers from all over the world descend on the Speyside to celebrate their favourite jams and all things whisky. In a rare treat and another exclusive for Scran, I went along to Speyburn Distillery recently to get a private tour and went behind the doors which have not been open to the public in 125 years. I met distillery manager Ewan Henderson, who comes from a whisky distilling family, who showed me what visitors can expect when they open the doors for this year's Spirit of Speyside Festival. We're in the courtyard at Speedburn Distillery. We're standing almost directly opposite the pagoda, which looks like it's attached to uh, maltings. And they kind of look like buildings from different eras. It's all stone but the maltings look a bit younger than the rest of them. So yeah, do you want to, to tell us a bit about the history? Yes.
1: Founded in 1897 by a gentleman called John Hopkins. The building on the right is uh, the drum maltings. So Speyburn was one of the first distillers to have drum maltings installed. So it was built in 1904 but ceased production in 1967 and they basically just closed the doors uh, back there and all the original equipment is still in there. It's been untouched so yeah, it's, it's something spectacular to see.
0: Yeah. So the design's quite interesting though because there was a famous guy who was involved with it, right?
1: Yeah, that's yeah, it. So John Hopkins uh, brought the expertise of Charles C. Doggan to design and build the distillery, hence the Dog Ventilator, which is now known as the Pagoda Roof. So he was the designer of this distillery. So he's designed numerous distilleries across Speyside. Uh, so one was lucky enough to be one of them.
0: And was it one of those ones that is deliberately hidden because it was illicit or
1: not? No, so uh, it was just... Where the location is, John Hopkins decided to build this in this location primarily for the water resource. Uh, with the only distiller in this area to use the Granty Barn, as it's known. Uh, so that untapped resource of water, which is key in the whisky process, that is pretty much the reason he built this distiller in this location.
0: OK, so we're heading in. Just to give you an idea of um, the location, we it sits adjacent to the road into Elgin, um, just outside Rothes, but we're in a sort of, like down below the road is this a valley is this a glen yes
1: it's a valley uh, and that's primarily where obviously the water source the water runs off the hills and into the burn hence where we get our water supply from
0: yeah so it's uh, set back from the roads so you'll see if you're coming in um, you might not know what it is because it's not its not totally obvious from the road right
1: no it's quite well hidden by the trees uh, but there used to be a railway line that used to run right along the side of the distillery back in the day so most of our raw materials, like our, our barley, would come onto site by railway. and got offloaded here of uh, to be taken into the, the maltings. Handy. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much.
0: Um, yeah, so it's lovely. It's really a really nice day. I don't know if you can hear any birds singing. But yeah, so we're heading off into... The drum maltings. The drum maltings. Oh, wow. Uh, so, we've walked in and it's uh, pretty vast. Going gone up some stairs to... Wow, yeah, this is pretty cool. <laughs> so as the name suggests, there are lots of drums, which would have done the time. but yeah, very much left in the condition that it would have been all those years ago. Just going up the stairs now to the very top it's so, so original kind of wooden floors the malt bins are all cut, painted light blue Wow, oh, so this is, this is the malting floor?
1: So basically uh, this is basically the start of the process of drum maltings this is where the barley storage uh, area is, so when the barley came in, it would be laid on this floor it would be through the be initially through the dresser uh, the put your dresser up through the top there, through the elevator and be spread on the floor, ready to be used in the process below. So This is basically the start. It's just a storage area. As I said before, this place was built in nineteen o four and ceased production in nineteen sixty seven, and they basically shut the doors. And what you see just now is original equipment in its original state from back then. So, quite a bit of history and uh, uniqueness about Spayburn.
0: Yeah, it could be a museum.
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and
0: so this, so to give some context, this would be the. Is this the floor that? the the guys would have like would they get you get the monkey I can't describe it the monkey shoulder from because yes. you're moving the barley So
1: pretty much back in the day it would have been a traditional flow of maltings and then uh, when the equipment came in to play the old drums, that's what basically it was modern technology back in nineteen oh five. It basically replaced uh, the maltman from shoving the malt over the shoulder. Uh, so yeah it's I like to use this Terminology, so this is like the Tesla of that era. <laughs> it's a mod- modern technology, i uh, was never heard of, and we were the first distillery in Scotland to implement it. So, again, quite unique for, for the industry. So
0: And it's amazing it's still all intact. So, you can yeah, get no one to come s- along and sold it. Or-
1: yes, yeah, so it's, not, it's not been touched. Uh, this is actually obviously a, a listed building by Historic Scotland, so we can't touch the building. Yeah, all the original equipment is still here and it's beauty.
0: Right, so we're on the second floor now. So yeah, what so, would happen here?
1: So we've just come from the first floor where the, the, the barley storage area is. So once we're ready to start processing the barley to turn into malt barley, we would basically put batches of barley into these steeps where we would uh, soak the, the barley over the period of time. Uh, so basically just increasing the moisture of the barley, just uh, tricking the barley to think that it's spring. So you're starting the germination process. So you're basically starting to of the barley again. Uh, and then there you would drain your water fill it back up, drain it, fill it back up, and you're just increasing your moisture from 5% up to 45% eh, before the start of the germination. So as I said before, you're tricking the barley to thinking it's spring, eh, to start growing. And then from there, we would eh, drop each steep into one of the two drums below us, and that would be the start of the germination, really. Eh, So back in olden days, where traditional floor maltons once the the barley has been steeped in water, it's been soaked, it would be laid on a traditional floor, and that's where you would get the maltman going along, which you call the monkey shoulder, when you're turning the, the, the floor by your shovel. Uh, so, what we're going down to see next on the drums is basically taking that technology step forward, and you're basically removing the, the labour intensive side of the, the job uh, by installing this equipment. Uh, so, from the steeps, we would take uh, what is known as green malt now after we've soaked the barley. Uh, and then one steep would be split into uh, two of the drums and basically what the drum as i said before you fill uh, the cremote onto the drum and this drum just rotates round and round and that's basically just moving keeping the barley moving and stopping it from knitting together because obviously with germination you get natural heat and if you get natural heat the if you left it on the floor in the drums without it turning it the barley would knit together and st- it become useless. So that's what these drums do, turn it, and that just basically replicates the old uh, maltman who'd be turning the, the the barley floor by hand with a shovel and a rake. So this is what basically just, uh, removed the old manual labour from back in the day.
0: So it's a bit like a tumble dryer for barley? Pretty much, yeah. So how long would it have taken right from the top to the bottom?
1: Probably roughly about three days it would, from start to finish. For, for us to be ready to use the malted barley.
0: Cool, so is there any reason why they're all blue? Is that just a design thing? No, I
1: think that was just what the colour of the paint is when they, they got installed. On the side of it, you'll see uh, Henning's pneumatic malting system. So that was the engineering company that installed it. I believe, reading by the history books, it's all German equipment. It was built in Germany and then shipped across and then Henning's uh, installed it all. But it was, a, it was the first of its kind back then, 1904, so...
0: It looks amazing. It looks like you could just come in and flick a switch and it would all work again.
1: I said before, you probably need a bit of TLC, <laughs> a bit of WD-40, but yeah, it's mostly mechanical-driven belts and pulleys, so yeah, I don't think it would take much to get it going again. But it's, it's nice to have. It's a whole piece of, piece of history and it's like you're stepping back in time. Because yeah, this building has been untouched since uh, 1967.
0: But bar a few electrical wires, it looks like it could be like 19... What did you say? 19 1904, or, uh, 1904. Yeah,
1: 1904. Like it That's when it was be.
0: installed. So. Having seen how the old distillery would have run, I'm being really impressed by how pristine the equipment in there still looks. It was back to modern day, and outside, Ewan showed us where the distilling process begins.
1: So basically now this is the start of uh, the process of going back from the drum maltons we used to process our own uh, barley. Now we take in uh, malt from commercial maltons and this is our malt intake. So we take in nine loads a week here at Speyburn. Bales uh, is an elevator system up into one of our four storage bins that we have in sight. We process 250 tonne a week here at Speyburn. So we do 40 marshes at 6.25 tonne. So although we're, it's quite a small... Unique distillation distillery. We're, we're quite a big, uh, in volume-wise. So we're 4.5 million litres a year.
0: So basically, it just looks like a load of manhole covers on the ground, but it goes up, and then there's a silver, just yeah. uh, silver silver um, steel chimney, not a thing. Conveyor. Ju- conveyor. Yeah. Sorry, I'm trying to describe it. <laughs> yeah, there's like a sort of pipe thing. So the, conveyor that goes up. There's the basically top.
1: a an elevator, and then a conveyor, that takes the the caddies the malted barley uh, into one of our four storage bins that we have in site. Yeah, so it doesn't look very pleasant. It's uh, okay. fairly pleasing, but uh, it's uh, our main source of uh, malt intake to get uh, our raw materials into the site.
0: Nice. Oh. So it's quite noisy in there. This is where the malt is obviously getting processed, yeah?
1: So what you see here is uh, two of our four malt storage bins. So this is where we take our malted barley in. Each bin holds 28 tons, and then the building next door is a malt room. So that's where we process the malted barley. So basically we passed 6.25 tonnes through a mill, which is known as a bobby mill. Uh, There's not many bobby mills left in the industry, so we're unique to still have one. And it basically processes a four-row mill, basically two rolls, top two rolls, crack the husk of the barley and the bottom rolls basically crush it into a fine grist and that's what we're looking to get is basically access to the starches within the malted barley and that's what we use in the next part of the process in the mashing.
0: So why a bobby mill and not portis mill? Cause a portis mill? you've got in there.
1: Yeah so it's quite controversial yeah I think the bobby mill we believe has been here 70 plus years. It gets serviced once a year and it's, it's like the heart of the distillery. It's a a vital piece of equipment. Without that, we can't make scotch whisky.
0: Is it a bit like Porteous? There's like one guy who knows how to fix it.
1: Actually, the, the gentleman who fixes the mill is a gentleman called Ronnie Lee. He's a Welshman and he basically services and sorts all the mills in, space, uh, in Scotland and in England and, and Wales and Ireland.
0: Uh, he, he's the guy. He is the main <laughs> man.
1: Uh, I think Porteous went out of business a long time ago. Yeah, he's, he's the expert when it comes to mills.
0: And luckily he's training up his son, I've heard so.
1: He's got two sons. Oh yeah, that's good. Uh, he's got two sons, so he's uh, keeping it in the family and hopefully they'll take over him when he retires.
0: Ewan showed me how the staff at Speyburn have gone above and beyond in creating a space that's acknowledged and celebrates the life of the distillery, both past and present. They've done this by incorporating and engineering parts of the old buildings into new ones, creating displays of old tools and equipment and painting and crafting pieces of original artwork. I was shown how much the distillery is run digitally from a central hub where technicians keep an eye on temperatures and measures. Jobs that would have been much more hands-on in the past. This is cool.
1: So when you walk through the distillery, even the floor you walk on, so back in 2015 during the upgrades, you're standing on is old reclaimed tiles that came off the old building uh, and the guys who work here basically created all this flooding from old reclaimed tiles. So there's been a lot of uh, blood, sweat and tears that went into what you see here today. Uh, all the little artefacts that are on the walls, this is all created by the guys on the site as well. So there's a lot of passion, enthusiasm and commitment that's gone into uh, creating what Spayburn is. So what we see here in this room is once uh, we passed six point two five tons of uh, malt through our mill, this is our grist bin. So this is a holding vessel for the grist before we start using it in the bashing process. Uh, and again, you'll see some little artefacts in the walls. So again, this is all being created by the guys on site. So wow, well, you've got
0: some creative people working here.
1: Yeah, although we've not been open to visitors in the past, the cell is ready for visitors. But when you see talented stuff like this. Uh, the artwork, uh, it's something unique. It's, it's the first time I've seen something like this in my twenty six years in the industry. It's uh, we've got a t- we're lucky we've got a talented bunch.
0: And they've just done it. It's not been like part of a program. They've just they've, gone out oh, They
1: just went out and done it themselves. So this is our marsh house this is where we mix 6.25 tonnes of grist with hot spring water uh, and that allows us to convert the starches within the, the mash converts into sugar liquid which is known as wort so we take that wort from the mash tun we cool it down to 20 degrees and pump it to one of our 19 washbacks that we have on site and then add yeast
0: This is the warm bit?
1: This is the warm bit <laughs> it's just, uh, for me mash in, we me mash in at 65.2 degrees so uh, because it's a stainless steel maston, it's really warm.
0: Because that's sometimes they're wooden aren't they?
1: The washbacks are wooden so we're quite uh, unique at When we have a mixture of wooden and stainless so again during the upgrade we kept traditional wooden washbacks so we've got four and we've got 15 stainless steel washbacks so that's the modern part so in total we've got 19 uh, and that allowed us to increase our production as I said before from 1.9 to 4.5 million litres a year. So this is where we pump the sugary liquid which is known as wort and this is where we add the yeast and uh, we create a, a like, like beer liquid for 8% which is known as uh, wash and these washbacks they're basically converting your sugar liquid into alcohol uh, by adding yeast uh, so you get 3 byproducts bi-products from fermentation which is known so you get heat alcohol and CO2 so all these washbacks are producing CO2 because of the natural reaction uh, the conversion from wash to alcohol
0: Square a long room. There's a lot of them. Is this about standards for a distillery?
1: In some distilleries, you'll see this. What you're standing in is actually an old warehouse. So we had two warehouses on site. Uh, we basically gutted this one and uh, we put lots of equipment in to allow us to increase our production. And it was the only space that we had. That other building onto the distillery, we basically utilised what was here and created this uh, wonderful tunnel.
0: And made it warm because warehouses aren't traditionally warm. No. And <laughs>
1: Because obviously you get natural heat from the fermentation so these washbacks got to about 36 degrees during the process and it obviously gives us a lot of heat so yeah, quite warm.
0: Yeah, nice. So on the wall, the history of Speyburn, there was a whiskey release for Queen Victoria's Jubilee. Back in
1: 1897 when the distillery first opened, John Hopkins basically got the Silly up and going and managed to get Spirit produced that year because of the Queen's 60th Jubilee.
0: That was the goal? That
1: was the goal. So actually, Distill uh, the distilled in marsh with no windows and doors.
0: <laughs> we ventured out onto the roof of the distillery to see the worm tubs up close. So we're we've gone towards the still room, but we're outside because you've got worm tubs. Yeah. Oh wow. Huh. I've never actually seen one of these before. Yeah. No.
1: We can bring people up close and personal so we can walk into top of the worm tubs because obviously we've got walkways. And so, this basically supports the two spirit stills. Uh, and this is basically just the cooling elements. This is like a, it works as just like a normal condenser, but it's a warm tub full of water, which uh, basically condenses your vapour back into a liquid.
0: So, they're quite common, but they're not, not really that common. Well, no, no, I
1: think there's only about 15 to 20 distilleries that have got uh, warm tubs left.
0: So, uh, just to describe it for anyone that doesn't know, it's a massive, basically, it's a massive tub of water that we're standing almost in the middle of on a walkway. There's a, Line arm coming out of the distillery, is a hole in the... is that right, the line arm?
1: Yeah, that's, that's correct, Yeah. Coming
0: out from the distills and it goes through the water and goes back in, so it essentially... What you said, to do with the vapours.
1: Yeah, so basically once you boil your spirit still up, your vapours rise down your line arm and into your coil and it condenses from a vapour back into a liquid and then into your safe. Uh, so basically this big tub, which is known as a warm tub, basically just allows that process to happen. So, we're walking down, we'll go into the still house here. So, we, what you can see is we've got one wash still and two spirit stills. So, here at Sprayburn, we pump 27,000 litres, 27, litres of fermented wash into our wash still. We distill it off, uh, and then what we get is known as low wines. So, we're taking our alcoholic strength from 8% and our wash back up to 21%. So, once we collect our low wines and our vat on the left, then we mix the low wines with four shots and faints from the previous run and that gives us a charge for the spirit still. So then we're going from 21% up to 72 and then here at Speyburn we cut our spirit at uh, 62 so from 72% down to 62% is known as the heart of the run. That is the spirit that we collect forward for maturation in the warehouse.
0: And we should probably say smells really nice in here so it's, how would you describe the smell?
1: So, if we walk down and we go to the safe, you'll get green, fruity, apple notes coming from the spirit safe. And that's the fruitiness of the, the spay character coming through. So, this is basically our spirit safe. So, this is uh, used to monitor and control uh, our spirit stills going on and off spirit. What you can see on the right hand side is hydrometers and thermometers. So, again, old equipment, but we still use it to this day in modern distilleries. Uh, to measure the strength and the temperature of the spirit. This is also probably one of the smallest safes in Scotland as well. Just because of the size of the distillery? Yeah, precisely, most of our copper work. But they built the safe during the upgrade as well. Yeah,
0: so for anyone that's never seen one, it's basically kind of it's a gold box with like a viewing window, and there are two um, kind of taps that are filling up bowls. So one will be the hearts and sails and, no, four short spanks and. The heart is the whiskey you'll be better
1: explaining than me basically the process at the moment you've got four shots spirit and faints so your four shots is your like your unwanted sulfury compound spirit that you don't want to take forward which will affect your character of the spirit so it's only the heart of the run that we take which you can see number two spirit still at the moment is on spirit and then once we hit 62 percent alcohol then we put it on to faints and again rather than just getting rid of it we redistill it in the next distillation so
0: and is that quite a high cut point?
1: It's probably about average uh, what you see. And then we'll take from 62 for the fence, we'll take it down to about 1.4% alcohol, and then the residual is left over, it's called spent lease, and then that's just discharged away, because it's basically just water. Hey,
0: right. thank you.
1: So something else unique about this still house, the floor you're walking on and all the floor all the walls has been pointed I've been pointed by the operators on site. And again, this was all reclaimed tiles the operators lead so as we said before as you walk right through the distillery this is what you see heart, passion and commitment has gone into this place
0: so they've like literally helped build it
1: to a certain extent yeah pretty much
0: the final two stops on my tour were the warehouse followed by a trip to the all new visitor tasting room and event space where I got a world exclusive sample of their festival bottling for this year's spirit of Speyside
1: so here we are going into our one and only warehouse on site. So this is where we store some of our uh, whiskey that we, pre- or the new mix spirit we produce. The bulk of our spirit uh, leaves site on road tanker and goes down to be before to into casks. Primarily because we don't have the capacity here to store everything we make. This warehouse currently we've got just over 2,700 casks uh, of different types. Uh, majority of them are ex-bourbon. Uh, but we also have sherry butts, we've got some puncheons, we've some, got some hogsheads, we've got quite a variety of different types. Where
0: do you get your casks from and do you utilise the Speyside Cooperage?
1: Currently most of our casks or all of the casks that we use uh, when we do fillings on site, so we only do two fillings a year, uh, we do one for the customer and one for ourselves and that is just to make sure we have a filling from every year stored at Speyburn but all of our casks come up from Airdrie, our uh, head, office, head, head office, where we have Ron uh, Cooperage down there. So they supply the castle so.
0: so we've gone through the whole process and now we're at the whiskies. So could you tell us a bit about the core range from Speyburn?
1: So the core range that we have uh, here at Speyburn, so I'll start from the bottom and work our way up. Uh, so the first one we have on offer is the Braddon Orich. So it's a non-aged... Uh, spirit, eh, but it's got a nice golden colour, eh, it's very smooth for non-aged, so good place to start for anyone. Eh, Brad and Oric is Gillick for eh, the golden salmon, hence the logo that we have in the bottle. Eh, And then going up the range we have 10 year old, eh, so it's been matured in eh, ex-bourbon casks, eh, first, second and third fill eh, for a minimum of 10 years, again a nice deep gold colour, eh, again lots of uh, rich vanilla notes coming through because of the bourbon cask and then we go into a little bit more premium uh, where we have a spade 15 year old so this has been matured in bourbon casks f- firstly and then um finished off in uh, ex uh, sherry butts uh, for the minimum between three, three years and then the 18 year old again been matured in bourbon and finished off four years so 14 years in bourbon and then four years in uh, ex-sherry butts so Eighteen year old, really deep colour. uh, That fruitiness coming through from the sherry, aye, beautiful, sublime, and smooth. uh, Probably my favourite. I
0: was going to say, what's your favourite? But yeah, what what is the favourite of folk who? I was going to say folk who come to visit, but they don't. uh, What would you say is the most popular?
1: Again, uh, it just depends on what people's taste, because everyone's got different smells and taste buds. Probably the 10 is probably our baseline where people will likely most start. Although the Brad and Orick, again, for non-aged, for me, is, is quite uh, nice as well. Uh, again, another good starting point, so probably between the Brad and Oric and the 10 is probably the baseline. And then if you want something a bit more special, a bit more rich, uh, something a bit different, obviously with the, the sherry finish, uh, then you're aiming for the 15 and 18.
0: But now we're going to go behind closed doors to taste something new.
1: So we'll uh, let you taste uh, the single malt that we're going to be releasing for uh, the Whiskey Festival which is a single cask.
0: And it's not going to be able to buy right? You're going to have yeah, to have done no, the tour? No, no you are no, no. able to buy it. So
1: everyone who comes on the 125th anniversary tour will get a bottle apart of, of the tour mm-hmm. but then because this is a single cask and I we think we've got about 210 bottles there will be a surplus so we're going to have them in the shop for people to buy so There'll be a limited stock, but once they're gone, they're gone.
0: Can you tell us anything about it on the record?
1: So it's it's, a, it's going to be a cask strength bottled at fifty two point six percent single cask. We matured in ex bourbon casks, so it'll be a bourbon only. It was distilled in two thousand in seven, so we a 16-year-old.
0: Did you have a lot of input to what one you chose, or how did it come about? To so sense?
1: when we were selecting, for so we were deciding if we were going to do a single cask or not, uh, then our master blender, Stuart Harvey, decided that we looked at a different number of casks and we picked one that we thought was right for Whiskey Festival, so again, that's just matching them with expressions as well, because we don't want to go too fancy, something that was uh, just fitted into the portfolio without impacting what we have already. So uh, we found a, a nice 2007 uh, ex-bourbon cask, uh, 16 years old. So, uh, yeah, so there'll be limited numbers and one off. Yeah.
0: So do you, right, so I think you can smell the vanilla from the bourbon. It's slightly grassy. I don't know. I mean, I'm probably going to sell these things and you'll be like, no. <laughs> but no, you can smell the vanilla. There's something else there, though, like, what are your tasting notes? You're the professional.
1: <laughs> I mean, you get on the nose when I mean, you've got a nice pale golden colour. Uh, it's not as dark as you would normally have, but uh, vanilla, vanilla, sweet toffee notes. Uh, so I get, I get Christmas cake, I get fruits. So yeah. probably a little bit spicy as well. Spicy
0: note. Oh, that's really smooth. Slightly spicy on the palate. Really smooth. It's you wouldn't think that's cash strength. Because I'm not going to lie, it's not my favourite strength, but that is really nice. It's not too strong.
1: It's nice, isn't it? It's uh, liquid gold.
0: Yeah. So Ian, can you tell us your earliest whisky memory?
1: I was lucky enough to be born and brought up in distillery, so my father was an in industry before me, uh, and because of his job, we used to move around quite numerous the distilleries, so my first recollection was probably Bladnock Distillery, uh, when I was uh, seven years of age, and that's... I've got two brothers so me and my brothers used to get quite involved at that well, when we were seven and eight we used to it was our playgrounds and then from there we moved to isla and that's that's where i probably started getting a, a connection with the industry maybe helping out but it was in the warehouse or just doing odd jobs bits and pieces yeah from there i started my career with allied distillers uh, and it's just it's gone from strength to strength where i've moved then numerous with shivis, and then four years prior to coming to Inverhouse, I joined William Grant and Sons uh, to look after a maturation site at Dufton. and then the last year before I came to Inverhouse, I was looking after Balvenie and Connoisseur as a process leader, and now yeah here I am. At uh Spayburn Stilly's manager. So this is my dream job, uh, being able to follow in the footsteps of my father. And
0: can you tell us why is the distillery not been open before?
1: Just an opportunity because we're our hundred twenty fifth anniversary, since I've come here I've seen opportunity to basically help push the brand. But what we've got here at Spayburn I feel is quite unique and it's a shame not to show it off. What the guys have created in terms of what we have in the Cooperage uh, for me is quite unique. So what we have now, we've got a facility that we can show people around and give them a taste in, but also show them the uniqueness of the Drum Drummaltons that we have in sight. but also uh, what we have in the distillery in terms of all the stuff that the guys have created, all the hard work and passion that has gone into creating what Spayburn is today.
0: For anyone that's lucky enough to have got a ticket for your Spirits um offering, what can they expect?
1: So what they'll expect is a behind-the-scenes behind the tour uh, with an intimate tour that they'll get right up and close and personal with the equipment, the distillery, they'll get to speak to operators, they'll get a right behind-the-scenes tour that they might not get at other sites.
0: What are your future plans? So obviously we're starting kind of mid-March. What's kind of happening for the rest of the year?
1: Uh, so hopefully uh, we'll do the Spaceside Whiskey Festival. We'll see how that goes uh, and hopefully it's successful. And then the plan is hopefully to open up full-time uh, some point in June.
0: Nice. So anyone who's not managed to get a ticket because it's sold out, Can hopefully be able to come back in the summer.
1: Yeah, people will come back here uh, after the Whiskey Festival and uh, have the opportunity to come round and see what they've missed at first chance. But uh, the people who will get to come here, uh, the lucky ticket holders then, uh, they're going to see something unique and special, hopefully.
0: Well, thank you very much for showing us around and best of luck with Spirits Bayside.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I am delighted that we are launching the Scotsman Scran Awards with 16 category awards to recognise Scotland's flourishing dining, drinking and hospitality sector. We want to hear about the individuals, establishments and products that make the Scottish food and drink sector what it is, so nominate them now at www.scranawards.co.uk, no later than the 12th of May. Categories include Scottish Chef of the Year, Sustainability Award, Newcomer of the Year and Best Whiskey plus many, many more. All finalists will be invited to attend a special awards ceremony on June the 19th at Platform in Glasgow. Thank you to our headline partner, Ben Riech's Distillery, and our category sponsors, Chefworks, Scotch Whiskey Association, and Glasgow Distillery, without which the event wouldn't be possible. Thanks to Ewan and all the team at the Speyburn Distillery for being my guests on this episode and thanks to you too for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss an episode of Scran. Scran is a laudable podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Roz and Derskin and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton.